You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time to think. Up the floor. Reza drop down. Kobe! Welcome back to Hardwood Radio Playoff Edition. Ben, it's the beginning of round two last night, a controversial game between OKC and San Antonio, but uh, tonight as well, the Raptors are playing for the first time in the second round since 2001. So let's start with this. Raptors yes, have won round one. With the, yes, sir. It, it, it didn't take a lot. It was only by, what, five points, 89 to 84 in the game seven. But uh, they hold on, and they hold on the win for uh, the win on Wednesday, basically. They hold on to the, last, to the end of the game. Yeah, uh, you're going to think I'm a party pooper, but um, they were the beneficiary of very friendly refereeing. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say like they won the series because of friendly refereeing because they did not. But in the last game, um, the Pacers were awarded only eight free throws, which means they got called for like the, the Raptors got called for four or five fouls, maybe. Uh, yep. So that was pretty friendly refereeing right there, but it's 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 a factor in the playoffs, and it's uh, uh, probably what you call the home field advantage. But because of the crowd too, because the crowd was reacting a lot to every non-call, yeah. mm-hmm. and the referee was kind of almost painted in the corner that he had mm-hmm. to call this to make sure the crowd doesn't turn on the game. Oh yeah, but you know, like yeah, like they did with the OKC versus San Antonio last night. Well, but... the fan grabbed the player and stopped them from playing. But we'll talk about this in a few minutes. That, that was complete chaos. But yeah, uh, it was. I mean, it was bad refereeing, but it's a, it's a, it's a factor in the playoffs. Like it's not something you should hold against a team. I think the Raptors uh, actually dodged a bullet by beating uh, the the. Uh, uh, Pacers, Indiana yeah. Pacers, because uh, they were a team, they were a bad matchup for them. They were one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. They had the players to cover uh, Kyle Laurie and uh, and uh, DeMar DeRozan. And, and you know what? I was right about my prediction all along. The Raptors won in seven. Yeah, and you know what impressed me and impressed a lot of people, especially uh, players from... Paul, like from Paul George, was saying mm-hmm. that look, Norman Powell was played a great game. He oh, was yeah. very effective defensively. Uh, still, when it was the time to change the momentum of a game, mm-hmm. when it was needed, when the Pacers were going on to runs in Game Seven, what can you tell us about Norman Powell, Canadian kid that is uh, a rookie in a way, but not playing like a rookie in the playoffs? Uh, well, Norman Powell was a senior in UCLA um, last year, which means he was not very high on the radar. Uh, of most teams, um, the he was acquired in a trade where uh, the Raptors got uh, sent Gravis Vasquez to Milwaukee for a second pick uh, last year and a first pick this year. Uh, 
Powell is a very explosive athlete. He is uh, he is very under, a little bit undersized for a shooting guard. He's six four, but he he compensates for explosivity, uh, defensive soundness. is very sound defender despite being very athletic. Usually, it's one or the other. Uh, so he's a very disciplined player too. He's a perfect role player. He's a he's a steal. Uh, where he, they got him in the draft, he's going to be a very good rotational players in uh, in uh, Toronto for years to come. And just to finish off the talk about the Raptors in round mm-hmm. one, because we'll move to round two that starts in an hour and a half as we are recording this, um, the Raptors have finally found a way to get their victories in round one for the first time since 2001, and their biggest star hadn't played their biggest basketball. DeRozan yes. and Kyle Lowry were limited to very low numbers to, uh, together and individually, but they were able to get the ball around and the bench was what won the series for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the bench player that impressed you the most in that series? <coughs> uh, I like Corey Joseph a lot. I Canadian thought, again? Yes. Canadian, Can- Can- Canadian kid Corey Joseph. I thought he was uh, key into uh, getting getting the offense going in the backcourt because Kyle Lowry was getting uh, annihilated by George Hill. Uh, I thought he showed uh, he showed that the bench in Toronto had a lot of depth. Patrick Patterson too. Um, Pat Patterson, was, my favorite he, name in the the, the NBA right now. Yes, he's uh, he stretched the floor when it was time to stretch the floor. And he worked a lot with Corey Joseph in the pick and roll. He was very uh, impressive. Uh, these two players, uh, I think, as well as Jonas Valanciunas, their starting mm-hmm. center. These three players won the series from for Toronto. Now, moving on to Miami. They start mm-hmm. the series tonight between Miami and Toronto in Toronto. So, in the six, uh, what is dangerous about Miami? We know they have Dwayne Wade and other big names. But Chris Bosh, right now, there's a little bit of controversy that started mm-hmm. late last night. That what it was uh, made public last night by Chris Bosh, where he wants to play, but he has blood cloth in his system. He's mm-hmm. on blood thinners, but he wants to play in Miami. Doesn't want to take the risk. No, and they shouldn't. Uh, already, like it shouldn't even be legal to play him because it's a risk to his health. It shouldn't um, be a conversation. It should be no. like, exactly. It should be a third party saying, "Look, the doctor is saying you're not playing. You're not playing." I think that Miami is a much more dangerous team with Chris Bosh in, obviously, and with Chris Bosh in at the five because he can play center uh, very, very well. But they're a very good team without him. And the player you have to watch is a young man named Hassan Whiteside. He is a center player. He is physical. He's a beast. I think he averaged four blocks per game during the season or something like that. He is he he's a, the type of guy who gets triple doubles with blocks. Uh, that's how that's how dominant he is defensively. I think he's going to cause a lot of problems to the Raptors in the paint. Uh, but unfortunately for Miami, I think he's going to be the only real problem for the Raptors. If they can figure Hassan Whiteside out, I think they have a good handle on the series. It's a better matchup for the Raptors, let's let's face it. It's a matchup where the strength of the Raptors of moving the ball, using Kyle Lowry's shot, if he can find it again, Mm -hmm. but they will have more space on that floor than against Indiana, which has a type of style that was suffocating Toronto. I may I I've said it. I've even argued on Twitter with the guy from La Presse, Pascal Leblanc. I said like, don't don't put too much blame on Laurie and uh, and DeRozan. It's a bad matchup. They had the exact player uh, the uh, Indiana needed to neutralize them. 
Uh, it's just a bad matchup. I'm fully expecting Kyle Lowry and uh, DeMar, De- DeMar DeRozan to come alive in round two. Just mark my words, they're going to take over that series. I think Toronto wins in five or six games. To finish in the East before we move on to what was probably the most entertainment and uh, drama-filled game over the mm-hmm. last couple of years last night, Cleveland-Atlanta, LeBron James versus the Hawks. What do you expect in this series? Cleveland obviously is technically the favorite, but is it going to be just a walk in the park or does Atlanta have maybe what it takes to upset everybody in the Eastern Conference? Well, you know, there was uh, game one last night. Mm-hmm. And I watched that game, and it was really weird because despite Atlanta playing quite well, um, the Cavaliers never lost their composure. They played a very mature game, and they were never really endangered. They led, they led for most of the game, I think the entire game. And uh, despite uh, Atlanta raining threes and like really working their game plan, I was just a case of having more takeover talent. They have freaking LeBron James on their team. <laughs> they had uh, Kevin Love, who was playing good pick and roll defense for once in his life. I was very surprised, and that was maybe like a clinching, a clinching factor. If if the um, if the Cavaliers that we saw last night show up for this entire series is going to be over in four or five. Like they, they were dominant last night. So basically, LeBron James needs to not put everything on his shoulder. He needs to play as a team and use his teammates and not trying to do everything by himself. Exactly. But try explaining this to LeBron. I'm not <laughs> sure he's going to understand. Trying to explain this to his bank account. Oh, yeah, exactly. And to try explaining this to Rich Paul, his agent, who has been a freaking cancer everywhere. LeBron is like LeBron's cancer. Uh, everywhere, everywhere LeBron goes, Rich Paul is there and like, pissing on the situation and like making everybody miserable with LeBron's demands and of course LeBron never has to do demands you know Rich Paul is just doing I know LeBron is smart in a way Ben just to Mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt but Mm -hmm. to use his voice or to use his uh like you say his agent to be the bad guy to be the bad guy so he doesn't look like the bad guy even though he might be a diva well he kind of is oh he is but to make sure that he doesn't look or come off as one he uses mouthpiece his agent to do so Oh yeah, but that's another. I mean, that's another debate. I think he's like what I saw last night from the Cavaliers was really convincing, and I think they're just going to steamroll into the conference finals if they keep playing like this. All right, now moving on to the Western Conference because yes, sir. that game last night was crazy. There's a one meme that was around the internet today, Ben, where you saw Manu Ginobili's foot touching the line, the other guy's mm-hmm. foot touching the line, the friend grabbing the player at the end of the game. A lot yeah, of sort of craziness that happened in that game. Can you go through the chain of events for us? Um, basically, most of it happened in the last two minutes of the game. And I think three of the five violations that were later flagged happened in the last 13 seconds of the game. <laughs> wow. So basically, in the last play of the games, uh, Dion Waiters, of all people, is inbounding the ball for OKC. Dion Waiters probably won't have a job in the NBA next year because he performed so poorly uh, this season. That's how bad he uh, he is, and that's the kind of player he has become. Why was he inbounding the ball? I have no idea. Uh, then Manu Ginobili allegedly steps on the line. I've seen the photo. Like You could argue he stepped on the line or he didn't. 
And then, it's close enough that both sides can feel they're right about this. Exactly, exactly. And you don't have the pixelated picture zoomed in where you actually see daylight between the foot and the line, but you don't have the picture of the foot on, on the line either. So Exactly, but case in point, the benefit of the doubt should have been Manu's on this one. Yeah. But the unwaiters took on himself to hit Manu with his forearm in the chest before to create some space to inbound the ball which is about the biggest offensive foul I've ever seen in my life. Well, like an elbow, been, elbow to the face. That should have been whistled right there. And the ref was looking at, at uh, Dion Waiters as it happened. But the ref was so blown away by such a blatant, uh, by, by such a blatant foul, he didn't call it. He was so blown uh, away that he forgot to blow his damn whistle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. And all hell broke loose. Everybody was thrown off their game. Uh, there's a San Antonio fan who thought they were um, they were they, they felt vindicated to intervene. San Antonio fan who grabbed uh, Stephen Adams' arms to prevent him from uh, uh, contesting Patty Mills's three point. Uh, <laughs> it's during Mil- the game. It's like, come on, uh, uh, the fan is interfering. It's like, come on, dude, that could be like a point for the other team while you're interfering. Patty Mills shot a really bad three-point that airballed when Kawhi Leonard was right uh, behind him and pick up some, picking some steam to get to the basket. It was complete chaos. What should have happened is that the ref should have whistled, uh, called uh, Dion Waiters for a foul, and give the ball back to San Antonio, who could have won the game or not. But uh, it was... I've never seen... Such a completely chaotic uh, ending to a game, and I've never seen uh, I never seen the refs lose control like this. I've never seen this before. It's it was completely new to me. And for a coach that's not necessarily always happy to begin with, yeah, should have seen Greg Popovich's face at the end of that game. Oh yeah, he was completely livid. But you know, uh, Popovich is one of one of the things I like about him is that he's a, he's a big picture guy. He understands. Uh, he understands that it's just seven game series. It's going. It's probably going to be fine in the long run. But yeah, he was pretty livid about what had happened, and it was in San Antonio too. So I think that the uh, Spurs are going to throw the kitchen sink because the Spurs you see here are the real Spurs. Like there's no nothing hidden anymore. There's only tough teams up to the NBA championship championship so the spurs are going to throw the kitchen sink at the opposition from now on so that, what do you expect in the rest of this series after game one i will i had this discussion with coach shelby on facebook this morning and he he resumed it the best he said kevin durant played a very good game russell westbrook played a very good game stephen adams played the best game of their life and he they needed to have a blown call to win the game <laughs> that that that's how that's how much better that's how much more composed and together the Spurs are. I think it's going to look a lot like what happened in Game One. The rest of the series, I think the Spurs are going to go into monster mode, and I'm I'm, t- I'm picking the Spurs in six. Spurs in six. Now let's move to the other side of this Western Conference uh, semifinal. Golden State versus Portland. Golden State, the team without Steph Curry, but all rallied behind Draymond Green and the fact that their strength is in numbers against a trailblazers of Portland, which are 
kind of the darlings in the playoff for the NBA right now, a young team that's overachieving. What do you expect between those two in that series? Well, remember when you told me uh, last week that Draymond Green could use this occasion to stand out and become... Uh, 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 was I right or not? And in the first game, in the first game, you totally were... Yeah, I think he had, he had a triple-double, I think. 23 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. He was all over the floor. Um, Clay Thompson uh, shot his third game with at least seven three-pointers in it. Uh, it's in this kind of atmosphere that you see what kind of culture uh, Golden State uh, has built. These guys are stepping up. Uh, Steph Curry is not there. Everybody else is stepping up. Everybody else is doing more. And... As much as I like Portland, as much as I'm happy, uh, they it's went. It's good that to... they made it there, but that's where the road started. That's uh, I'm pretty sure, but uh, the you know the sky is still blue in Portland. They have shown tremendous improvements since last year, despite losing all of their starting five, uh, except for Damian Lillard. And I think they can only get better from there. I just think they're gonna get mauled by. Uh, by uh, the Warriors, and I think the Warriors are in full emotional mode right now. I think the Warriors take this one in four. You know, the idea that I was talking about last week, mm -hmm. Ben, of Draymond Green having more space with mm -hmm. the absence of uh, Steph Curry is because, you know, subconsciously, everybody respects Steph Curry so much mm -hmm. that they don't want to overstep their boundaries, where mm -hmm. it's his team, it's his shot to take. Yeah. But when he's not there... That leadership void can be filled mm -hmm. by a player that doesn't feel like he's overshadowing another player if mm -hmm. he can play to the maximum of his capabilities. And that's what we saw in that game. And then it was that series was over and moved to the next one. Absolutely. And it was a brilliant move, too, from Coach Steve Kerr to uh, just run the offense through Draymond. Like, hey, Draymond, you're handling the ball. You're calling the shots. Uh, you're calling the sets tonight. It's your team now. Exactly. And, you know, not that many power forwards can do this, but Draymond did it. He did it beautifully. And I'm expecting him to do it uh, until Curry returns. And I think he expects it of himself, too. By the way, there are rumors on the Internet uh, that uh, Curry would come back for game three. Wow, that's I, very, very soon. I do not think we should believe this. No. Um, don't forget Steve Kerr is from Greg Popovich's school of mind fuckery. He's, not, <laughs> he's, going, he's going to spread as many false rumors as possible to freak out other people. And I don't think he believes it. I don't think Greg Popovich believes it. I don't think Billy Donovan believes it. I think only the fans who want to see Stephen Curry back believe it. Uh, it's not going to happen. All right, so if we go with our, continue with our prediction, we yes. basically are going to have what we predicted, Toronto-Cleveland in the East yes. in the final and Golden State and San Antonio in the final in the West. Golden State and San Antonio is the matchup everybody wants to see. It's, it's a the dream matchup. matchup. It could be it's, the best series ever, right? I am going to sit in front of my television screen and really have too much fun watching this series. I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to miss a single minute of this confrontation of titans. It could be the nerdiest series ever between the two nerdiest, smartest coach in the game. So I'm not going to miss this for anything in the world. And even in the East, it could be number one and versus number two in Cleveland mm -hmm. versus Toronto. Cleveland finished first in the East, Toronto second. Mm -hmm. And it would basically be the four best team in the league left in 
the the conference finals, then in the final, you can have the best teams in the league. It's basically logic has been respected, but the the quality of basketball that we've been seeing has been quite high. Oh yeah, absolutely, and this is serious now. Like all the, all the the year, all the season, we've waited for this moment for this brand of basketball. So predictable or not, I don't care. The ball is just really good. Now let's talk about the coaching carousel. Yes, Luke sir. Walton finally has been confirmed. After the playoffs are over, he will be the Lakers' new head coach. I couldn't believe my eyes when I heard this. I was like, "What?" Uh, because he was very, very, uh, uh, he was very fast. Um, Luke Walton got called for an interview, and the next day he had the job. So that leads well, me to I believe. I guess you made a good impression. That leads me to believe that either he doesn't think he's a really good coach and he just took the first occasion he was given or that he thinks he's a really good coach and he, he took the worst possible situation and, to, and he's going to try and whip some sense into the Lakers and show Steve Kerr who is the best coach between the two. Reality is probably between... Uh, yeah, 50-50. Exactly, and uh, I've learned that uh, Walton's lifelong dream since uh, since not really making it as a superstar in the NBA was to become the Lakers coach, and that he's been sitting in the coaching meetings uh, for the Lakers, Phil Jackson's coaching meetings since 2003. Has he uh, played for the Lakers? He played for the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. He won. He won Two or three championships for yeah, the Lakers. Exactly. So yeah. So it's like almost a, not a savior, but a, a not a legend either, but a former Lakers coming back home at least. He, that's it, and that's part. That part of me thinks it's a, it's an emotional decision first and foremost because he's not getting in a, himself in a great situation. And well, the thing is, with the money the Lakers do have, they could change that pretty quickly if they decide to. They will, but they have a very bad reputation. Uh, in the amongst the player in the leagues, they've tried. They've made a couple of free yeah, agents. Since the pitch. Dwight Howard debacle, and exactly, exactly. The, that uh, year was awful, and the paycheck that year, wow. They've made they've made a lot of uh, free agents pitches since then, and apparently their pitches were very clumsy. Uh, they pitched to Lamarcus Aldridge uh, last year. They talked to him for an entire afternoon without even talking about basketball. And, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is a nerd. He's like you and me. He loves to talk about basketball. And it's what matters to him. He wants to know what's your project on the court to see if it, he fits into that plan, right? And they talked to him about branding and personal uh, uh, and personal fame. And he, We'll help he, you with your agency. We'll contact ING so you can have a bigger contract in Hollywood. So you can make movies and commercials. Exactly. And they want and, to win championships. That's the only thing they Lamar- want to do. And LaMarcus was like, what? So, uh, so that did not go over very well. He even had a second meeting, tried to get themselves forget so forgiven for the first. Didn't go over very well either. So I don't know what Luke Walton is going to do with this team. Uh, there's a lot of potentials. Uh, they're going to have a very good prospect uh, added this uh, this uh, this season uh, this off season. I am not sure uh, he signed for something. He, if, I'm not sure he understands what he signed for. Like it's going to be a lot of work, and he might get fired by the time they get good. Does he even know what he's getting himself into? 
I don't think so. I think it's an emotional, it's an emotional reaction. But you know, I, to, to be fair, to be devil's advocate, when the Lakers' phone call comes calling, it's hard to say no as well. Especially if you're a former Laker. It's like the uh, mothership calling the cattle. Like, dude, you want to come back here? We'll give you tons of money. You'll have your, you'll have your opinions heard when it comes to free agency or signing or draft picks, mm-hmm. whatever. Come back home to see what we can do together. I I agree. I think also that um, uh, Walton's reputation as a coach is a little bit overblown because it's he's, Steve Kerr's blueprint that he just ran. Exactly, he just surfed Steve Kerr's vibe. So and maybe that's part of it too, Ben. Sorry to interrupt you again, but it's maybe the fact that it's a different challenge. And if he succeeds there, it's all because of him and not the other way around. That he would maybe establish on his resume a a better reputation. Ah, uh, probably, probably. But uh, I think it's about the worst situation he could have gotten himself to in order to do that. Frank Vogel. What about Frank Vogel? Um, after the Pacers' uh, elimination, uh, Larry Bird uh, said there was has been no uh, there has been no uh, discussion in order to renew Frank Vogel's contract. So Frank Vogel's contract, Frank Vogel might be a coaching free agent uh, starting uh, July. So it's going to be very interesting because Frank Vogel is a really good coach. He is the winningest coach in the Pacers' history. He's the longest tenured coach in the Pacers' history. Um, I think he could very well um, man the bar at the Pacers uh, for the Pacers for at least five years still. But the team might be needing needing a change. I think it's time for. Uh, the Pacers to try new things because they, they're a little bit in a rut right now. Um, so Frank Vogel might be available. I think every team looking for a coach should be, um, should be uh, looking at him very, very hard. He is not the best offensive coach, but he's a sound, defensive, uh, aggressive coach. Uh, he he builds a almost contender for like a run of three or four years. Um, I think the Knicks should take a look at him. I think the Rockets should take a look at him. I think he would be very good on the Rockets. He is a very intriguing prospect that just landed possibly in the coaching talent pool. Speaking of the Knicks, uh, maybe eventually, finally, after Mm -hmm. more than 10 years of lobbying himself Mm -hmm. into a coaching position, Patrick Ewing might be considered for the Sacramento Kings job. Yes, sir. And where else than Sacramento? Because like, what do we have to lose now? What what else could we lose? Let's let's just give him a chance. Because for ten years, basically, Patrick Ewing passed interviews for coaching job position, and the consensus uh, amongst league executives like, no way, no way in hell. Right? This guy. Well, they said he's not coaching. He's not coaching material. He's not nearly enough of a leader he's not nearly vocal enough he doesn't know his x's and o's as but well as he should that's what i mean tactically does he have what it takes like x's and o's does he have what it takes to plan a system a gameplay a mentality that you can evolve during a season can he do that because if you're not a leader of men but you have that aspect of coaching you can get by well for the last three years he's been associate head coach which is the number one assistant in the nba under steve clifford uh, who is uh, the top dog from the uh, Jeff Van Gundy coaching uh, coaching three? Jeff Van Gundy, who is one of my favorite coaches of all time. So uh, it's going. I think he evolved. A lot of people say he 
has come into his own and he has become a very decent uh, coaching candidate. I think uh, of all the really silly suggestions that I've heard coaching uh, Sacramento, I would go with Ewing. I would go with Ewing because he's a big man, because he knows the pressure of being a big man in the NBA. He might very well mesh with the Marcus Cousins, who is their brooding superstar who is threatening to leave any second <laughs> now. Who wouldn't, though? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, Boogie Cousins is one of the most temperamental uh, and, impre- player. and unpredictable players in the NBA. So, Like almost bipolar I, in his reactions and oh, feelings. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So maybe Ewing's influence would be good. I think it would be a, a much better pick than Mark Jackson or Vinny Del Negro or Sam Mitchell even. I think, yeah. I think they should try it. I think they should give Patrick Ewing the job. You know what my take on it is, is when you're in this franchise like Sacramento Kings, you know, a franchise that doesn't have a big superstar, like mm-hmm. a big name that attracts the media presence or attract a certain amount of credence to this franchise, they don't have that. But if a Patrick Ewing, even though he's been away from the cameras for a little while, Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing still is a big name in basketball. And oh, if yeah. he comes and takes over, can actually take some of the pressure off the players in a rebuilding phase saying, look, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And he's going to attract the media, not necessarily the players. And he can be that buffer between the two to help a young team grow i absolutely agree uh i think that's i think that's a sound plan it is the sanest plan i've heard in the most for the most insane possible franchise i've ever seen in the nba so uh vivek ranadive give that man a job give patrick ewing your the head coaching job he cannot do worse than the seven last guy to finish our prospect yes, of sir. the week, Domantas Sabonis. Domantas Sabonis. I don't know if you remember in the 1990s, um, f- I, there was this freakazoid giant who uh, was playing for the Portland Trail Blazers. He was named Arvidas Sabonis. His father, I guess? Uh, yes, sir. He, <laughs> Arvidas was a seven foot three, 300 pounds. He had a pretty underwhelming NBA career. But his claim to fame was giving uh, the, um, the uh, dream team in the 92 Olympics uh, a run for their money. And he led the, uh, the uh, Soviet that, Union. Uh, just a team that included Patrick Ewing and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. And, and Scottie Pippen. And, oh, wow. What a team. And, wow. and, and Domantas is his son. Like uh, uh, Arvida Sabonis played for Portland from 95 to 2001, but he stayed in he stayed in Portland. His family stayed there. Domantas grew up in Portland, and he's a very puzzling player because I don't know I don't know what to do with him. He has a very diverse and polished skill set for a big man. He must be tall. That's what I was saying. What's a, how he, tall is he? Because if his father was seven foot three, he, unless his mother is like five foot two, he's gonna be tall. That might be the case because he's 6'10". He's 6'10 and Oh, well, he's still 40. close enough. <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, he's uh, he has a very incoherent skill set. Like, what he can do, those do not go together um, uh, coherently on a basketball court. For example, he can, uh, he can screen very well. He's a very big, strong guy. He can screen very well, but he can't shoot. So every time, every time uh, the uh, opposing team catches him when he rolls to the rim, he has a very good 
post game. He has very good footwork. Well, who would have thought, right? His father was one of the most dominant post players of all time. So, but he is actually very short. Like he, he's not a very long athlete. Doesn't have long arms. Doesn't have a lot of athleticism. Um, it's he's got a really weird skill set, which leads me to think he is not going to be a starter in this league. I think in the NBA is going to become a role player and he's going to need a lot of freedom. He's going to need a team who is going to give him a lot of freedom on the court. Uh, Maybe the he Knicks... needs more development time as well. If he his skills are not polished, or the one thing you talked about a couple of weeks ago, where his skills are not definite enough that you can mm. mold him and use him in a way that you hide his flaws and highlight his strength. But the thing is, his skills are extremely polished. Is just he is kind of what do I call a point forward? He's a guy who can pass. He's a guy who can rebound. He's a guy who uh, plays extremely good defense. I think defense is might be his calling card in the NBA. He just can. I don't think he's going to fit in any kind of definite system, uh, even if he's in the high high Q player. Um, I think he's going to be a very good role player, uh, kind of in the same vein as Boris Diaw is in San Antonio. Uh, Josh McRoberts maybe in the, in the Miami. I think it's a better example. It's more like Josh McRoberts than Boris Diaw. Okay. Um, it, it's, he's an intriguing player. I'm really curious to see how he's going to fit in the NBA. I think he's going to be the type of kid who's going to ride the pine a lot in his first season or two, but he's eventually going to evolve into being a key cog in his rotation. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of uh, abnegation from him. But I can see him going maybe... Uh, I see um, on uh, Draft Express, he's, he's listed as going 18 to Detroit. Okay. I, like, I like him going 20 to Indiana. I think Indiana has a loose enough offensive system to make it work. Uh, I, if it slips any further, I think Boston's going to come calling. Philly's going to come calling because he has like five first-round picks. Uh, he's an interesting player, but I'm not sure. It's a bit of a, of a question mark. All right, Ben. Great stuff as always. Let's get yes, ready to watch game one of the Raptors versus the Heat. And later on... Uh, Golden State versus I'm drawing blanks here. Right? Golden uh, State Portland. Here. Portland later on tonight. So until then, pass the damn ball and uh, we'll talk to you next week. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.